My name is Lauren Eliz Love, and welcome to this podcast. I'm so excited that you're here, and I can guarantee that you're craving success, abundance, prosperity, and all of the beautiful things that come with a thriving business. Here on the show, you are going to find all of the things that you really need to create that beautiful financial freedom that you crave. Inner work, personal transformation, and radical self-love are the tools that will excel you and propel you into that life that you desire. Here on the show, I will share stories and lessons from my life, along with interviews from great experts who've been able to do that work themselves. You'll hear lessons, breakthroughs, and tips to expand, to change, and to grow. Because growing a business is really about growing yourself. For more, you can visit laurenoflove.com. Are you ready? Let's dive in. And I realized that drinking was something that was cool. So my friends and I would go down to my parents' liquor cabinet and we would pour out some of the drink and we would use it and the space in the bottle that we that now was there, we would fill it back up with water. I got caught for that shit. Welcome to the Business Babe Podcast. My name is Lauren Eliz Love and I am a success expert transformation strategist, business mentor, and the owner of a million-dollar online empire. I'm obsessed with helping women receive it all in life and in business. If you are a woman dedicated to growing herself, leveling up, achieving big goals, and being the best version of you, then you're in the right place. My goal in the Business Babe podcast is to show you step-by-step how to transform and create that version of you that you have always wanted to be and how to be, do, and have it all financially, physically, and internally. Think of this podcast as a one-stop shop for your daily dose of personal development, growth, next-level learning, all the things. We will cover topics like personal development, business strategy, spiritual practice to elevate, expand, and align into your next level. I'll show you step-by-step the tools, the strategies, and the teachings to create the life that you desire because success and freedom are your birthright. Thanks so much for listening. Here we go. Hello, my gorgeous, beautiful business babes. Welcome back to the show. Is it July? I think it's July. Okay, so (laughs) I'm like trying to, in my brain, align with when this podcast episode is going to be airing so that I can talk to you like it's that time. Anyway, as you're listening to this episode, I'm in Sedona with my soul sister family and it's so exciting and everything's magical. See, like I'm future forecasting right now. (laughs) I'm recording this episode the week before, obviously, but as this episode airs, I will be on one of my soul sister retreats. If you guys don't know, I do this every quarter with my beautiful friends. We've gone to Costa Rica. We've gone to Austin. We went to Malibu a couple of months ago. And now we are in the spiritual Mecca of the United States, Sedona. (laughs) I love Sedona. If you don't know, I got married there on Cathedral Rock because years earlier, I had my spiritual awakening on that very same hike. So we went back for our wedding years later uh, and had our, our wedding take place on that rock. It was really beautiful. So I'm really excited to be back in that energy again. And so much has been going on in my life that I feel like I'm really ready for another spiritual retreat. And I encourage you guys, you know, just sharing this as it's coming up, you don't need a lot of money to take an emotional vacation. You actually don't need to even go anywhere to take an emotional vacation. Something that works for me every, you know, couple of months or so, shutting down my computer, shutting down my phone, spending more time outside in nature if possible. These are things that we can do with very little money. And I think it's so important to recharge your batteries spiritually and physically. So please take that time um, and go do you and go spend some time relaxing in nature and just being one with the world outside of your business, the world outside of technology. I think, you know, a lot of us get really plugged in and we're in our service mode and we have this belief that's like, if I step away, everything's, you know, bad's going to happen and I need to be present in my business all of the time. And 
I have clients who don't even remember the last time that they spent a day without looking at their phone. And that's really not good, right? It's so it's so important to recharge and just reset. So um, if you have the time, if you have the inspiration, you know, go take a digital detox. It's, it's something I teach inside of the Business Babe membership and in the success plan that you get inside of that membership. I speak to digital detoxing because... It's allowed me to get the creative channel downloads that I need to recharge my batteries and to see things much more clearly in my business. And when I feel well and I feel rested and refreshed and clean and clear, I have more incredible breakthroughs about my content and my programs and the business I'm running and everything just seems to really open up. So I really encourage you to do that. So I do that with my friends and this is something that, you know, I really set the intention to receive uh, months and months of probably like, you know, over a year and a half ago. I really wanted sisters. I wanted women in my circle who got me and understood me and encouraged me, right? How many of us come from these experiences as young children or teenagers where we're bullied or shamed or outcast by women um, is very, very real for us, that sister wound. And so I wanted to be surrounded by women who lifted me up, who encouraged me, who celebrated my success, who didn't feel like things were a competition, and who allowed me to be my truest, authentic self. So um, yeah, it's been really an incredible experience to have these trips. I feel like every time I go, I heal some new layer of my life. And uh, we all kind of feel that way. So I'm really excited. And if you want to come and check out what we're doing, of course, we're going to be documenting all over Instagram. My handle is I am business babe. If you're not friends, let's be friends. Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm doing today. And, you know, I think it's kind of cool that before I embark on that trip, I'm sitting down to record this episode with all of you guys because, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do when I'm on those trips is personal. It's very much about my healing and my growth and my expansion. And I think that's a big reason why we are on this planet. Um, you know, not to get too woo and, and witchy with all of you guys, but I really think that the human experience is God coming into human form and experiencing all of its facets, right? To experience what joy is like and what sorrow is like to experience what um, good is like and what evil is like to experience what you know every single personality trait is and the experience we have with other people allows us to grow and expand and become better the people that are in our families right a lot of people say this your children are your your biggest spiritual teachers your relationships are your biggest spiritual teachers they mirror parts of you. They show you parts of you that you may not necessarily have seen or sometimes maybe don't want to see. <laughs> um, but I, I also think that our relationship with ourselves is really about expanding and becoming more aware of who we truly are and our most divine. And I think as children, you know, Wayne Dyer talks about this. We come onto this planet in our most divine state. We come in our purest form. We come in, you know, kids, they don't care what people think of them, right? When you're that tiny little toddler, you run around naked, you don't care what people think. Um, You love everything. You laugh at everything. You're joyful. You cry loudly and you don't care who hears it, right? So it's just this inhibition of self. Um, But then as you grow up, you're stripped of that because we live in a human world and we're taught, don't be too loud. Don't let people see you cry, right? Um, Don't show your body, right? So all of these things strip us of our divine, free, inhibition self. And then as we have our spiritual awakening, a lot of the work that we should be doing is going back to those memories or those experiences where we were stripped of our freedom, and reclaiming it. And for me, my sobriety journey was a big piece of that. My ability to um, remove alcohol from my life was very challenging. And it was a really important part of my awakening. 
and I'm really honored and excited to share it with all of you guys. I'm going to go into my story in this episode and I just want to let you guys know that because I think some of you listening, I've been getting so many questions lately about my sobriety journey and I haven't talked about it in so long. Um, I have a little app on my phone that I hardly ever check and it, it tells me how many days I've been sober and I don't actually, you know, really, I don't really pay attention to it. Um, but in case you're wondering, I am 505 days sober as I am recording this episode. So, uh, it's been a, it's been a really beautiful journey to step into what that looks like. And I always look at, you know, on my platforms and my content creation, what people are asking me is generally a sign from the universe that I should record an episode about that because I am a projector by human design. If you don't know what human design is, please go look it up. It's life-changing. It's a combination of a ton of different things, but based on your time you were born and the year you were born, it tells you a lot about yourself. And projectors, their their action um, or their way to receive or create the results they want in their life is generally to wait for an invitation. Oh, and that's hard. <laughs> when you're an achiever and a go-getter, that's really hard. Uh, so I wait for the invitation and sometimes the invitation comes when a an audience member asks me a question about something and I get a download from Spirit to say, oh, do a podcast on that. And so this last week, I've gotten two or three different messages from people about my sobriety. They've said, hey, Lauren, you know, can you talk about being sober and what has happened? Can you talk about, you know, why you chose to go sober? Can And I have a bunch of questions I'm going to ask. I'm going to answer at the end of this episode, but I thought it would be time for me to share that story. So some of you guys listening are really curious about sobriety. And I, I just want to share that because I am, I'm opening up in this episode about my life and the journey of sobriety, I am going to be talking about some topics that could be a bit triggering to people, um, things related to sexual trauma, things related to abuse, um, and obviously drinking habits. So if you have triggers, if you have feelings that maybe you know you don't want to listen to this episode, you don't have to. It's fine. It's okay. You're in a safe space. I, my feelings are not hurt. But I did just kind of want to let you know that ahead of the game that you're coming into an episode that is intensive in narrative and it may open up some wounds for you if, if that's um, if you've been through something similar. So without further ado, my sobriety story. Enjoy this episode, you guys. And thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the show. And I love you so freaking much. And I'm I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful to be doing this work. I'm so, fr- I'm like getting emotional. Um, you know, we all go through things in life. We all have challenges. We all have obstacles and, and things that sometimes when we, they happen, we say, why, why is this happening? I don't understand. Um. But I look back on everything I experience and I really feel like I'm a vessel of of experiences that are meant to be shared to help other people. Like I literally, everything I've been through, I just feel like I'm meant to share so that it can help somebody. And um, I always wanted this for my life. I I remember being like 14 years old and feeling like I was meant to just share my story. And I used to think my ego would say, oh, Lauren, that's so um, self-obsessed, right? You're you're just focused on you. It's so narcissistic to share your story, but it's really to help people. And I'm so deeply blessed that I get to do that every day with business-related content and personal development-related content and just being the voice of my experiences and helping you so thank you guys for allowing me to do that i adore you and um enjoy this episode thank you for being here first of all i want to thank you guys for holding space for me in you know giving me permission to record this episode. It feels really cool. 
I'm really happy. I'm really grateful. Um, you know, this is really a healing journey for me to be able to show up and like process what I've been through in a more deep way and in a deeper way, because sometimes we're going through things and we don't really understand what's happening until we have this like observational sort of perspective. So that's really what I step into when I record these episodes. And sometimes I come out of them and I'm like, wow, I learned a lot. (laughs) So thanks. Thanks for holding space for me. Um, Sobriety is different for everybody. And I'm going to share my journey. I'm also going to share my definition of sobriety because I think also too, everybody has a definition of sobriety. It's kind of like saying I'm plant-based, right? That that can mean so many different things. And sobriety for many people is I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do anything. Um, and that's not actually me. Um, I, I, I'm like trying to have, I use psychedelics, right? Like I use psychedelics for spiritual healing. I'm very open and available for that. I've also had seasons of my life where I've smoked pot. And so I define sobriety as no longer using the things that I was abusing. I I think that's that's what I feel called to use as the, the guideline of what I define as sobriety. And uh, for me, that has been pain pills that has been, um, you know, pharmaceutical medication that has been marijuana. I actually no longer use marijuana just because I find it lowers my vibration, which we'll talk about in this episode, how different uh, substances are actually expansive for some people. And then for others, they're they're not as expansive. And uh, marijuana is something that as I've ascended, has no longer served a purpose for me. So I've removed that from my life. But I don't consider that in the category of sobriety really because for me alcohol was the biggest pain point and this is what we're talking about in today's episode my journey with alcoholism my journey with using alcohol as a way to cope and then my journey in getting sober and why I did and how I did and you know all the steps to take so In order to have a really effective episode, we're going to go way back and I'm going to talk to you guys about childhood and growing up and my relationship with alcohol. Some people who develop unhealthy relationships with alcohol have abuse in their childhood. It's very common to use substances as a way to numb or self-medicate. And for me, I don't, I didn't have a traumatic childhood per se, like that that led me to alcohol. Like I'd never, my parents didn't really drink and abuse alcohol. I grew up in an Italian culture. So there was always wine at dinner and it wasn't something that was abused. It was, you know, I remember my nieces, um, I'm sorry, not my nieces, my cousins. They're a little bit younger than me, but I remember growing up and seeing them when they were like 13 and I was in my, you know, early twenties and being like, wow, they're drinking wine. Like it's no problem. Because my aunt married somebody right off the boat from Italy and he, in his culture, was just like wine is just something that you always have on Sunday dinners and it wasn't abused or mistreated. So I never really saw like dad didn't abuse alcohol. He actually hated drinking. Mom didn't really abuse alcohol. Um, For me, my relationship with alcohol started in my teenage years and at parties. This was like a really big thing. I remember I was probably 12 or 13 and I realized that drinking was something that was cool. So my friends and I would go down to my parents' liquor cabinet and we would pour out some of the drink and we would use it and the space in the bottle that we that now was there, we would fill it back up with water. I got caught for that shit. So if anybody has kids, you know, this is something that I did and and my parents definitely Um, We're not happy about when I was growing up, but I started to experience this rebellion phase and experimentation phase of like, yeah, I'll try a drink. I want to see what it tastes like. I want to see what it feels like for me. And it didn't really phase me. Like I didn't really enjoy it. I was kind of like, eh, this is okay. And I moved on to just being a, a young teenager. Uh, when I got into high school and uh, probably around, I would say, like my junior and senior year, alcohol started to show up uh, more consistently in my social dynamics. So we would go to a party and there would always be alcohol there that we play beer pong. 
And I went to Catholic school, right? And I was considered this good girl because many of my friends were in public school and I was the Catholic school girl. So I had this reputation of being like this prim and proper and smart girl whose parents were rich and none of that was true. It was just how I was perceived. So I almost felt like I had to drink more to uh, prove myself to say, hey, like I deserve a seat at this table of rough people. I deserve, you know, I have a tough life too. Uh, and I didn't really um, have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. It was just I was a teenager and I was drinking. Uh, I remember in high school when that changed. And I was, uh, this was the first time, and I, I think, you know, looking back, this is kind of the red flag of, Anybody who has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol can probably recall a time where they first experienced or first witnessed alcohol being used in a really bad, dark way. And for me, that was my senior year of high school. We were at a party and my high school boyfriend was told, if you could follow this train of of drama, my high school boyfriend was told by my best friend that I had cheated on him. And he was devastated. And I had left the party. And the reason she told him was because she wasn't really my best friend, right? This is all this drama about girls. And so she told him, she said, uh, you know, Lauren actually cheated on you. And he drank himself under the table that night. And I remember I had left the party and I got a call from my friends to come back because Zach was having a hard time. And I, I went back and I saw him and he... You know, if you've ever seen somebody who's who drinks themselves into darkness, like that was the first time I had seen it. He was angry. He was evil. He was frustrated. Um, and he was in this really, really dark place. And this was the first time that I had ever seen somebody use alcohol in sadness. And that had never really happened before for me. It was always like, oh, we're fine. We're at parties. Let's get drunk. Woo. First time alcohol is used when we're sad. And it brings us into a really dark space. Looking back, I can recognize that alcohol is a depressant, right? It makes us more depressed and more sad and more low when we are coming into that drinking experience, sad, depressed, and low, right? It just enhances those feelings. Um, This is why we call alcohol spirits, right? These are dark energies that can come forth in the relationship of drinking. And sometimes when we're drinking and we're sad, this is what shows up. And so this was the first time that that happened for me. And obviously that relationship did not last. I went on to uh, go to college. And as many of you guys know, if you've listened to my episode from a while back, my, my rape story, I had a really traumatic experience my freshman year of college. I was raped um, and shortly after I attempted suicide. And this was where I, I guess I went back to what I knew, which was that when something bad and emotional happens, we can over drink and this will numb. This will put us into our dark hole and we'll kind of disappear in there. And so I had this really traumatic experience, right? And I didn't have emotional tools to cope. Nobody ever taught me about spirituality or the power of breath. Nobody ever taught me about journal work or meditation. Um, I didn't have a therapist that I felt safe in, that I could confide in. And so I attempted suicide and ended up in a psychiatric facility and was told Uh, that I had a mental illness. Now, here's what's kind of important to remember. At 19 years old, when we don't have these tools of like emotionally coping, we tend to cling to other tools that allow us to cope that are a little bit easier. So before I ended up in a psychiatric facility, I spent some time over drinking to escape the trauma that I was now burdened with. Um, I spent time taking pharmaceuticals that were just available at parties, things like Xanax and Oxycontin. Um, I took anything that I could to escape what I was feeling. And when that wasn't enough, 
I decided to attempt to take my own life, which it didn't work. I ended up in a hospital and that was where I was put in um, a psychiatric facility and was diagnosed with a mental illness. All the while, I'm just a young girl who maybe doesn't know how to cope emotionally, you know, and is having a hard time. So, and looking back, you know, I didn't tell doctors what was going on. I didn't say what had really happened, but that's where everything That's where my journey of the story started. The story that when you're in pain, you can self-soothe by putting something into your body that will alter your state. Rather than working through whatever's going on, rather than processing it, rather than experiencing it and, and doing the work, you can just take something. You can either eat a lot, you can drink a lot, you can take a pill, right? This is all stuff we can do to numb ourselves. And so that's what I I started to do. That's where I spent most of my time, numbing, numbing, numbing as much as I possibly could. And uh, as I as I moved out of that, I ended up leaving that college and going home. And when I was at home, I poured myself into playing safe and just getting good grades and going to work and then going home. And that was really all I did. And and then I found my first husband and we started dating and um, I didn't really feel a need to drink because I was on all these medications that were numbing me. I was on antipsychotics, antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills. I was taking like at least four different medications at a time, but I was still numbing. That was still the pattern for me. Numb, 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 numb. Um, when I got divorced uh, and that relationship did not work because of many different reasons, but I remember um, getting divorced and realizing that I had spent so many years just being numb to things. And I had this calling, my grandfather had just passed away. Um, and this was probably just to give you like a timeline. So between freshman year of college and then my first year out of college, that was the period where I really wasn't abusing alcohol, but I was heavily medicated. I was really numb to the world. My mother used to say, Lauren, you're like a zombie. Like you're like a walking zombie. I don't know what's going on. I was overly medicated. Uh, And I remember my grandfather passed away. It was 2012. My divorce was about to start. I just felt like my life was imploding. Um, And that's really, if I look at my trajectory of life, like 2012, that was where everything shifted for me. Like, oh my God, that was so much changed for me. Um, and 12 or 121, those are my numbers, right? That's like my divine. Oh my God. And as I'm looking at the fucking clock, 20, if you see the number 12 or 21, oh my God, it's wow, goosebumps. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's where like my trajectory changed. And I got this message from Spirit where it was like, you need to come off of these medications. They're not serving you, they're not doing what you want them to do. They're making your life worse, they're not making your life better. And that felt really scary to me because I had, you know, at this point I had been on them for years and I didn't know what life would be like if I wasn't medicated. But 2012 was where I began that journey of saying, you know what, maybe I don't need all of these medications. So I started to slowly remove my numbing agents. I started to really look at my relationship with antipsychotics and being like, am I bipolar? Do I have a mental illness? Is this really what's going on? Let me, I don't need this anymore. And I came off that medication. Am I depressed? Do I need depression medication? What's going on? And so I started to just like question these pharmaceuticals that had been such a part of my identity. I carried mental illness like it was an identity to me for so long. So I'm now newly single, slowly coming off of these medications and alcohol gets reintroduced because now I'm a single woman. I'm partying again. You know, I'm, I'm going to clubs, meeting men, living in the city. And uh, I started to really fall into the party life. I met a, a man who I was, you know, spending time with and we would party a lot. And uh, it was great. It was beautiful. Like I had a really good time finding myself and finding my individuality as a new woman for the first time being single and um, and an adult, right? Like that was very new to me. But I also had a lot of fear and anxiety around the social atmosphere because I, 
you know, from my past experience and from my trauma, being around men and being around men in a party-like atmosphere made me really uncomfortable. So I would overdrink. I would always drink more than I should. And there was always this line. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. If you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, there's a moment where you feel really good and you're like, yep, I feel good. Maybe it's like a drink or two and you hit this sweet spot and then something in you is like, no, go have more. And that's when you cross over. And there's always like this, Matt used to say, it was like after my third drink where I kind of crossed this line and I would start to black out and I would wake up the next day and say, I don't remember what happened. How was the party? Was it good? (laughs) Right? Like, I don't remember the second half. And living in Manhattan, like at the time, this was very normal. It was a normalized thing to go out partying a lot. It was normalized to wake up the next morning and laugh that you didn't remember stuff. Uh, and I I lived in that culture for a while. And so now going from somebody who was numbing with antipsychotics and antidepressants to now being somebody who's numbing with alcohol that began my journey of like juggling these two things and trying to finally get some peace in my life. And, you know, we could add a third component to this where I was, I was numbing with alcohol. I was numbing with antidepressants and I was also numbing with food, right? How many of us numb with food, just like sitting in front of the TV, vegging out. Uh, So that's where I started to notice this pattern of me clinging to my numbing agents. There was a part of me that wanted to no longer drink. There was a part of me that wanted to no longer feel stressed. But my anxiety levels from coming off of medications felt so strong. And being in new social environments felt so strong that alcohol became a really important part of my life. I remember shortly after meeting Matt. And Matt, um, you know, also could drink a lot. And we would go out to nice dinners. And um, I remember you know, just drinking because I was having a great time. And that was okay. But every once in a while, I would drink beyond that and we would end up having fights and we would end up um, getting into loud screaming matches, right? Things that were just totally out of character for our relationship. And this was before I had ever started started a business. I was still in corporate life and I was really unhappy in my corporate job. So again, feeling something that was uncomfortable and feeling like I was trapped in that uncomfortable energy, being in a job that I hated, that I felt like I couldn't get out of, that I had to stay in because I had bills to pay, I continued to drink. And there were many times, I mean, this is so embarrassing to say, but there were many times where my husband would come home and find me passed out on the floor or in the bathroom because I had drank myself into a place of just passing out. Um, And it was really, really sad. And I look back on that, you know, when I realized that there was this part of me that like didn't want to be in that life. I didn't want to be working this TV job where I was from midnight to 9 a.m. exhausting my body day after day. I didn't want to work overnights. I didn't want to work covering the news, which was so dark and, and so heavy all of the time. I wanted more for my life, but I had bills to pay and I had health insurance to keep. And it just felt like I was trapped in a life that I really actually didn't want. And so um, alcohol was a a way for me to escape that life and to do something different, to experience something different, to escape, right? To numb the feelings I had rather than actually doing the scary thing, which was to quit my freaking job. Eventually I did that, right? So I quit my job, found the courage. My relationship with alcohol stayed though because now my stressor was not being in a job I hated. My stressor was... um, quitting my job and being financially strapped. And so this pattern, as you guys can see, is like alcohol for me was a tool to cope with stress. And and that was over and over and over again, whether it was sexual trauma, whether it was financial pressure, whether it was um, relationship insecurities or social environments, I was always using alcohol as a tool to cope with an uncomfortable feeling rather than moving through that feeling myself. And A lot of this is because I just was trained. My body was trained for years and years and years to not 
work through these things, but to avoid these things, right? Avoid what you're feeling. So um, I would say probably around 2016, 17, it's like year one, year two of my business. I'm still drinking. I still have alcohol in my life. I'm not really abusing it too much. Things are actually getting really great in my business. Things are actually really feeling incredible. I have like one more medication left on my on my shelf that I take every day. I was taking Prozac and um, I was smoking pot to like relieve stress. And I, so I still had these like little numbing agents and I'm like, I don't really think I want to do this anymore. I was becoming spiritual. I was having these deep awakenings and I felt in my soul, this deep knowing that alcohol was not meant for me. And so that began the journey of me choosing to remove alcohol from my life and the battle of getting sober. Now, I know this was a question that came up and I am going to go back and ask, you know, and revisit the questions that you guys asked to make sure that I am covering everything. But one of the questions that came up was how many times did you try to get sober before you actually did? And the truth is, I have no fucking clue. (laughs) I tried too many times. I tried a lot. Uh, And every time there were these learning lessons, I I knew that my higher self um, was just not a woman who drank. She didn't need to. I would wake, I knew I wanted to quit because I'd wake up every day feeling like shit after I drank. And it would take me like three or four days to feel normal again. And that was so frustrating that like I, I lost three days of my life feeling abnormal because I spent one day drinking myself onto the floor. Uh, it was really bad. And so there, there became this pattern where I noticed when things were really stressful or when my anxiety was high, I would feel a craving to drink. So if I had six coaching calls in a day and I got off that call, a glass of wine would feel so freaking good. Or if I had a tough conversation with my mom, a glass of wine would feel so good. And for me, the issue, because many people do this, right? And there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine if that works for your lifestyle and if that feels truly aligned to you. But for me, it didn't feel truly aligned. And number two, it didn't work for my lifestyle because I would never just have one. I would have a whole freaking bottle. And sometimes I would black out and I'd wake up the next morning and say, what the fuck happened? And it really started to take a toll on my relationship with my husband because he doesn't drink and he's completely sober. And so he's, you know, not really in this space with me and feeling like he's craving the healthy relationship that we have when I'm sober. So I started to get sober curious and I started to explore what my life would look like if I didn't have a drink. And I would, you know, mark the date on my calendar as like the day my life changed forever. And I would decide like that was the day. And then something would happen. I'd go to a family outing. I would go to a restaurant Um, I would have a tough day at work and I would decide to no longer be sober. (laughs) And this was back and forth. This was over and over again. And I would get like five days of sobriety and then I would just feel the urge and I would listen to it. And what's really important to note is when you create a pattern in your brain, there's an animal part of your brain, a primal part of your brain that you have conditioned to believe uh, or to, to recognize that when stress comes, here's what you do, right? When stress comes, you eat. When stress comes, you drink, whatever it may be. And so for me, the first couple of months of sobriety were really challenging because stress would come and I would feel the trigger or I would feel the desire to drink because my brain has been wired that way now, right? This little cell in my brain is sending a pathway or a little message to my body that says, hey, stressed, alcohol, alcohol, solve this. It's, it's not saying, hey, take a bubble bath or go for a walk. It's saying alcohol, alcohol, because that's what it knows. That's what it's been conditioned to believe. And that's what you've been doing this entire lifetime. So the first couple of months of sobriety, you're really battling this loud voice that is not you, it is, it's animalistic. It is uh, just a computer programming in your brain that's saying to do the things that you've done before, 
to repeat your pattern. It's robotic. And so you have to fight off those little demons that say, hey, do this, hey, do that. Now, in my own personal experience, I can't speak to everybody who has addictions or struggles with substance abuse. But for me, I don't have those urges anymore. Like I literally, I don't know what it feels like to crave a drink. I have not felt that in a really long time. And again, I'm 505 days without any alcohol, which is um, quite a while. But I stopped having urges probably after like three months um, because I found other ways to treat my body and to remove the stress and to be in a Zen state. And those other ways became patterned for me. And some of those ways were great. Some of those ways were really healthy, right? The take a bubble bath or go for a walk. But, you know, now in this season, it's really processed food. And I'm doing my best now to break that pattern of not eating processed foods. So we all have these unhealthy patterns. And slowly over time, I've been chipping away at that pattern of when I'm stressed, put something in my mouth, right? I'm, I'm just really learning how to reprogram that. Um, and all of this... I would say cracked me open spiritually because as we've talked about, alcohol lowers your vibration and it keeps you in the third dimension and it sinks you down. Whereas being a spiritual woman and practicing in your spiritual work, you can expand beyond that. You can elevate and ascend and raise your energy, raise your happiness, raise your sense of confidence. All of that can start to expand. But so um, alcohol tends to hold us down, right? It tends to keep us a little bit stuck in the third dimension. So um, yeah, I had a lot of different tries. And every single time, I, of course, felt like a failure. I felt like I had an addiction that I would never be able to remove. I felt like I would be struggling for the rest of my life. And then I would dust myself off, get back up, and I would try again. And I would learn to look back on whatever that failure was and be grateful for what it taught me. So just as an example, um, I, I realized that if I, didn't, if I went to a restaurant and I did not get a glass of water with lemon, I would go for a drink. I also found it was easier to go to a restaurant and get sparkling water, right? That made it feel easy because I could sip that and enjoy it and not rush through it like I would a glass of water. And that would nourish me and fill me instead of feeling like I had to have a drink. I noticed that when I was at my grandparents or my parents' house, I would crave alcohol more because I was stressed. So I learned to set healthy boundaries. So in all of these flubs, you know, whether it was like me drinking at my parents' house or me drinking at a restaurant or whatever the scenario was that broke my sobriety, I could look back and go, oh, I needed to learn that. I get it. It's not, it's not enough just to wake up and decide tomorrow, hey, I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life. There are new habits and new patterns that need to be created. And some people can go sober and wake up tomorrow and learn those new habits and patterns as they go. For me, I had to learn these new habits and patterns by failing and by recognizing what didn't work for me and what triggered me and tried new things. Um, the decision to finally quit, one, one student asked about this. She said, uh, how did you come to the decision to finally quit? So every single time I fucked up or, you know, screwed up on my path to sobriety, I could dust myself off. And what I noticed was that with every single time I slipped up, more and more shame built up. Like the first time I slipped up, it was like, all right, like that's the first time, you know, you're learning. It's fine. The second time was like, okay, like here we go. The third or fourth time, oh my God, I was so embarrassed. I would feel this immense amount of shame waking up the next morning, just so humiliated. And the big breakthrough for me, it was February 6th of not this past February, but the one before. I was at my dearest friend, Jen Casey's surprise birthday party that was also going to be a surprise engagement. And I got so drunk that before the engagement even happened, I almost gave it away. I almost gave it away. 
And I continued to drink and blacked out, woke up the next morning and my husband was so upset with me. And I just was like, I'm never fucking doing this again because it started to really threaten my relationships with people. It started to threaten my relationship. Oh my God, could you imagine if that turned into the disaster that it almost was? I would have been so heartbroken that I ruined my my best friend's engagement. Um, and my husband, you know, having him wake up and be frustrated, I couldn't lose these relationships. So that was really, for me, the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think everybody has these leverage points um, when certain needs of ours are being threatened. When my need for love is threatened by an unhealthy habit that I have, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to get rid of that unhealthy habit like it was yesterday, like goodbye. Because my need for love is so important to me um, and I would never do anything to jeopardize that. And so the fact that I almost got close was just a sign for me where I was like, you know what, I, that's it, I'm done. And I never had a drink ever since. Uh, so after all of those years, those moments of trying and failing and trying and failing and being sober curious, you know, I had a lot of lessons to learn. But in that moment of really almost hurting people that I care about, that was enough for me. So if you know your leverage points, sometimes you don't have to get that far. Sometimes just journaling and saying, well, how does my alcohol uh, hurt my ability to feel loved by others? How does it prevent me from being a good mom? Or how does it prevent me from being a great wife or a great friend? You know, sometimes that reflection is just enough to make you decide that you never want to drink again. Now, one of our students asked, she said, would you ever were you ever into smoking pot and would you ever consider that a block to being your best self? So I was actually talking to my friends about this, how marijuana for many years for me was an expander. It would heighten my energy. It would make me feel really great. It would open me up to see things in a different perspective and I would use it for good, whether it be in like a meditation or a day of self-reflection or relaxation uh, or a day in nature, I would rely on marijuana, the plant. Um, and I I used to use marijuana to get high when I was young. Like that was what we used it for. But as I've been on this spiritual practice and the spiritual journey, the plant has a lot to teach. And if you use her properly, she can be a great provider of knowledge and um, spiritual connection for you. However, there are people who ascend or elevate in their spiritual work beyond that plant and then that plant actually lowers their vibration and makes them feel a little bit um, out of their element in a bad way or in a lower vibration way. So for me, I used to use marijuana as an expander, but as I've started to explore psychedelics and plant medicine healing, those are the plants that I now feel called to work with and I no longer feel called to work with the, the marijuana plant. So I think for some people, it does enhance you and it does allow you to open up. And for other people, it resists them, it shuts them down, it makes them feel quiet, right? And it causes problems. So I think it's really, really up to, um, up to the person. And then finally, I had this other question. Somebody said, what are your best tips to staying sober? I'm on day 12. Okay, so first of all, I love you and I'm so proud of you for getting to day 12. One of our other students says she is nine months sober. That is amazing. Um, I'm really so proud of you guys and I love seeing those shares. I think the first three months are the hardest, so give yourself grace. I spent some time those first three months avoiding certain scenarios and certain environments that would really trigger me and would make things hard. So I really went out of my way, you know, to not do the things that I felt like would hold me back um, and uh, would trigger my need to drink. Just for those first three months, I did as best I could. And then as I started to show up in these new patterns and these new behaviors, I really made it a point to teach myself new healing tools. So it's not enough just to not do something. You need to replace that with a new habit. So if your habit was drinking at parties, right, that club soda with lemon can be really helpful. If it's drinking at night after a long day of work, maybe it's a meditation or a yoga practice. You know, we need to find things that replace the unhealthy behavior instead of just being like, nah, I'm done. Peace out. Right. Um, it's not just about removing a bad behavior, but creating a good one for yourself. So that would be my other tip. I'd also encourage you to talk to the people you know and normalize your sobriety. So some people feel 
like they need to hide it. And some people get uncomfortable when they try to um, go to a party for the first time when they're sober, right? And someone offers them a drink. I, I would say to everybody, no, nope, I don't drink. No, I'm sober. No, sorry, I don't drink alcohol. I started to speak those words because I was getting comfortable with those words being my truth. I was getting comfortable with aligning with that idea that I was not somebody who drinks. I'm not somebody who drinks alcohol, right? I would start to say those things because I'd bring them into my reality. It was the same thing when I quit smoking cigarettes years and years ago, right? No, I don't smoke. How many times did I used to say I was a smoker, right? You know, start to normalize what it is that you want. Start to speak it into existence. And the more that you claim what it is you want, the more effortlessly it will come to you the more it will be a part of your your reality so yeah so that's my story you guys that's my story with sobriety and I love what life looks like without alcohol I feel like I don't even miss it at parties or at social gatherings it doesn't even come up as something that I need Uh, and it feels so good just to not have that chain you know that being pulled and connected to a drink I feel very free and I never felt that way before so for anybody who is struggling with alcohol addiction or some sort of issue related to substance please know that there is a side of life where you don't have to struggle and you can be in a place of joy and ease and um, beautiful beautiful health so thank you guys. Thank you for being here on this episode. I love you all so much. And if this journey spoke to you, if you listened to this episode and had takeaways, um, please come speak to me on Instagram. My handle is I am business babe. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag us. Um, Let us know that it spoke to you and thank you. I'll see you on the next one.